Hey, and welcome to episode 73. Gratitude to you for taking the time to click on that little triangle that points to the right for a go-around of this podcast that thrives on all things cinematic, past, present, and future. Whether this is your first listen or your 73rd, thank you. My name is Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. For this episode, we're going to make like Cher and turn back time and find a way to look back to the early 90s for holiday merriment, movie style. In November of 1990, that kid from the 1989 John Candy comedy Uncle Buck proved he had the box office mojo to headline what has become a holiday season classic, Home Alone, written by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. After that smashed records, not to mention Joe Pesci's and Daniel Stern's craniums, he returned two years later in the inevitable sequel, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. This pint-sized, plucky, and persistent pipsqueak is Kevin McAllister played by Macaulay Culkin. But if you are presently thinking, I clicked on that little triangle that points to the right to hear about films from over 30 years back. No! Oh, boss, don't get your tinsel in a tussle. Just breathe and remember the inspiring words of actress Lauren Bacall. It's not an old movie if you haven't seen it. I am stoked to welcome two guests, both from England. First, we have Stephen J. Holleran, an actor, a YouTuber, an activist, who is making his first appearance in this podcast. His YouTube channel is really cool. He interviews people, he watches Ricky Gervais episodes and posts reaction videos, accompanied by our second guest, Dave, a.k.a. Davey A., who makes his third appearance on Silver Screeners. His podcast is called I'd Give That Ten Minutes, but I suggest you give it more than that. He and I also co-host a podcast of our own called Movies Across the Pod. We wanted to call it Movies Across the Pond, but that name was already taken. So pod it was. Pod, pond, tomato, tomato. The point is, these two guys are joining me to talk about both of Macaulay Culkin's Home Alone films. Our talk is pre-recorded, so once it wraps up, stick around, because there'll be the usual poll results and listener trivia segment with shout-outs. You don't want to miss those. So here is a fond look back at the beginning of the Home Alone franchise with Stephen J. Holleran and Davey A. Davey A. Stephen Welcome to Silver Screeners. Tell me, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, are they both classics? Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on, Frank. It's always nice to come back and speak to you, even though we're in regular contact. But yes, Home Alone for me, and one or two, I should say specifically, because let's be honest, there's only two Home Alone movies, in my opinion. Damn straight. Damn straight, exactly. Still current, still funny, still amazing to watch. A family favorite, certainly with my family, and I'm sure families all around the world. But for me, a timeless, festive, fun, classic, and one I continue to watch year on year. Loved yeah. it. Yeah, me too. And oh, thank you very much for inviting me on as well to play in your ball pit. Well, it's great to have you both on. And, you know, thank you for making the time for this. So right back at you. Yeah, it's fantastic to be here. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. I'm, I'm like Davey. I watched it every single year, these two films back to back. It's a Christmas tradition. Um, so I'm looking forward to sort of sharing that passion with you. Now, I'm taking an awful risk here because I'm about to say something that might reveal my age. My grandparents took my youngest sister and me to see Home Alone in the theaters when it was initially released in November of 1990. So when we saw it, it was probably some point in December. And I remember at the time thinking, okay, yeah, no, this is fun. I can get into this. I loved the slapstick. I loved Joe Pesci. Always had. It came and went. In my mind, it came and went. And we moved on to other movies and other things. And then the following year, the Christmas season of 1991, 
it was available on VHS. So yeah, probably rewatched it a couple of times, enjoyed it, thought it was fun. Then I was off to college one year later. So I was in college when the second one came out. And because I went to college in South Cupcake, New Hampshire, there was no way of getting to a movie theater because I had no I had no car. None of us did. So going to the movies was just not a thing for me. The first few years of college, by the time I was a senior, I had my first car. So I didn't see Home Alone 2 until years later. I saw Home Alone 2 Christmas season of 2001. So at that point, oh. I was long out of the house. I was married for a year and a half and I watched it on my own. So I'm watching Home Alone wow. 2 from the perspective of a 20-something, thinking to myself, yeah, this is good. I mean, it's not the first one, but it's good. I enjoyed it. So that's my history with this franchise. And then I went ahead and rented. Remember when we used to rent things? And I rented a <laughs> uh, Blockbuster or West Coast Video or what have you. So I rented Home Alone 3. And when it was over, so was my interest in the Home Alone franchise. So, oh, wow. So I went back to the original. That became annual viewing. I went back to the second one. That became somewhat annual viewing. I like the second one very much, but I also have a soft spot for the original. But I'm talking too much. I want to hear what your experience is. Uh, first time you saw it, how old were you? What was your initial reaction to it? Your general reaction to it now? Um, well, maybe. I'll go first, okay. Uh, well, I unfortunately didn't see the first movie in the cinema. I did wait for the VHS release, but did see the second one when it came out in the movies, in the cinema, and was just blown away by the hilarity of it. It's very much a slapstick kind of comedy, you know, people falling, people slipping, things being thrown in the air, you know, falling into holes, that kind of thing. And that's right up my street. I love that kind of slapstick comedy with props and stuff like that. You know, like Police Academy, for example, portrays a lot of slapstick comedy, you know, heads and horses rear ends and, you know, snip glues and mace sticks being swapped and stuff like this. So it, it plays heavily on the kind of comedy that I like. Yes, there were some good one-liners in there, and yes, some really memorable characters, but for me, it was always the slapstick element, the comedy, the traps, the people falling over, which was kind of turned up to 11 in the second movie, but the original being, well, the original, it's the the one that has the most kind of heartfelt fandom for me, yeah. introducing us to that family and, and what Kevin can come up with when he's left on his own and how he survives. But rightly so, the second movie does need to be given a sense of appreciation because it has a really good cast in it, which I'm sure we'll dive into a bit later on. But for me, first one, I missed that trick by not seeing it in the cinema. I wish I had it done, but uh, I was just very grateful to have gone to the second sh uh, showing of it and seen it then. So, yeah, for, it's um, it's a, a, fan, a fun favourite for me, and I love it, and I still love it now. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Sam? Oh, um, well, I grew up with it because I grew up in the 90s, so I was about 10 in 1996. So all the way through the 90s, it was part of my tradition to watch it religiously with Santa Claus the movie. You know, even Die Hard was part of that. So literally yes. every year was it was the same. I preferred the second one growing up, but now they're both balanced equally. I think they've both got different takes on the same concept. I think it elevated what was popular about the first one pretty, pretty nicely. Um, so I, I love the feeling it gives me every time I watch it, that, that sense of family, Christmas, and even the snow, like when you see the snow on the ground and the Christmas tree, I used to obsess with Christmas trees as well. You know, and I like, say the comedy, like, um, you know, the, 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 the jokes are subtle sometimes, but very mature and very cheesy as well, but very, very funny. You know, it's interesting that you say that about the jokes and the one-liners because both movies are chock full of them. And yeah. 
And for a while, I always thought that Catherine O'Hara sort of got the short end of the stick, meaning she yeah. wasn't given a lot of material to work with. I mean, she's a she's an alum of SCTV, all the movies she had done, Beetlejuice and whatnot. Yeah. So the fact that she didn't have a heck of a lot of comic bits, at least the way I saw it for years, I always felt that she was underused. Looking back on it now, when I rewatched it for this, she has a lot of great moments that either went over my head or maybe just weren't funny to me at the time, or maybe I just didn't pick up on them. But she yeah, is the subtlety. the subtlety, the subtlety. She is great. In fact, I'll save it for a little while from now, but I do have notes of my favorite lines in the film, both films. And, oh, uh, and it's, it's the delivery. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's the lines themselves for the most part. But it's, it's also, also the glances. The it's, the, it's, the looks, it's the looks in her eye when she's looking at John Candy, when he's talking and, and all these <laughs> little, little moments. You know, she's like, you said you could help me, <laughs> you know, it's a little moment, you know, just get on with it. <laughs> I love it. Really good. And it's John so Candy good. improvised everything. Like he was on the set for one day and he improvised everything. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of my favorite comedy actors as a kid. And I was, I was gutted when I heard he died, you know. Yeah, no, that was awful. I, I remember that. We all mm. mourned the loss of an amazing comedian and comedy actor. And yeah. It was a one-day recording session with one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. And, I mean, who doesn't love, you know, Gus Belinsky, Polka King of the Midwest? <laughs> who doesn't love that guy? Polka, you know? Polka. <laughs> that is what I want on a T-shirt. Polka Twist. Polka Twist. There was Twin Legs Polka, Damabuji Polka, Kiss Me Quick Polka. There's a lot of Polka variants out there. Oh, Sheboygan. I... Very big in Sheboygan. 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 <laughs> try it. Try it. Try it, try it, try it, try it. All right, try it. Uh, who doesn't want to travel in the back of a budget rent van with a load of polka bums? It's just brilliant. Love it, love well, it. She doesn't. She got the same back at the same time as the others. It was, it was great though when when she when she meets um, when she meets Gus and he says, "See that guy over there in the yellow jacket?" And there's like six guys in yellow jackets. Yeah. Who does he mean? Which one? <laughs> That's amazing. They didn't pick up on that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, John Candy was, I mean, obviously he had done Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with John Hughes a few years earlier. So John Hughes asked him, hey, do you want to do this cameo? I'll give you a percentage of the film's profits. According to the E! True Hollywood story of John Candy, Candy said, no, you don't have to give me a cut of the profits. Consider this a favor to you, that you don't have to give me that much money. So he did the scene all in one day, all of his scenes in one day, made $414, which is the minimum that you could make at the time through the Screen Actors Guild. It's the acting union here in the U.S. He was probably kicking himself when the movie turned out to be, yeah. you know, the top comedy of all time for a record it held for, I think, 27 years, maybe? Definitely missed money, out was there. He money, was he money-orientated, or was he just in it for the craft, though? Because he, he might have just been in it for the craft. He was in it for the craft. Um, he also, he craved the spotlight a lot. Mm. But he enjoyed entertaining people. He enjoyed the attention, but he simultaneously did not want a lot of spotlights on him at the same time. It's like yeah. you want it, but you don't. It's same, you know? That's what I'd be like, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a private family man, loved his kids, threw himself into fatherhood. But he also loved being the life of the party and you yeah. know, mingling with the Hollywood elite and just enjoying life, really. That's something we're aspiring to do you know, when we make it big and all these podcasts and media ventures we're all having our fingers in at the moment. We're going to be those guys in Hollywood. 
going to LA yeah. and go- golfing and <laughs> smoozing with rich people. You know, one day, folks, we're taking over the world. One day. One day. <laughs> that sounds good to me. It does. Global dominance will happen once we get through Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. I thought maybe we could go around and if you think of any off the top of your head, just say some favorite lines of dialogue from either one of the two films or from both. Because it's just, as I was saying earlier, Stephen, as you were saying, it's the delivery, it's the look in the eyes. Catherine O'Hara, John Candy, Joe Pesci, and of course, Daniel Stern. I mean, mean, you just cannot. amazing actors. I think one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite lines that Harry, Joe Pesci says is, snakes, snakes. I don't know, no snakes. (laughs) In and of itself, it's not even a funny line, but just something in his face when he says it just catches me off guard every time. I love when um, when Harry says to him, snakes, and he goes, he sounded like a snake. What? 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 What do you mean he sounded like a snake? That guy. Oh, God. Harry and Marv, I love them. They're just amazing guys. And not my top either. No, no. It's, they're literally two terrible crooks who are being bested by a young child. But it's the fact that um, Harry, uh, Joe Pesci's character, is not allowed to actually swear so it's all like <laughs> a, bit, a bit like Muttley would do in Dastardly and Muttley the whole like <laughs> he just you knew he was trying to swear but he's being PG being you know <laughs> 8 to 12 and so on he's not allowed to but you knew deep down he was thinking you bleeping bleeper I'm going to bleeping bleep you you bleep 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 these are all instead of swearing but I love that about him the whole comedic like angry but doing it in a child related way is brilliant yeah well, John Hughes well. says that Joe Pesci had a really difficult time not dropping the F-bomb left and right around the kids. <laughs> so he gave him a code word to say. He had him say fridge. Fridge. Okay. Anytime you feel the F-bomb coming out of your mouth, just say fridge. If you're around the kids. Okay. Okay. That's still hard, though. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Mm. I mean, who gives a fridge? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't have the so same ring to salesman? it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I think for me, in terms of lines, especially in the first movie, I don't know why this one cracks me up so much, but it's every time I said I laugh, and it's towards the end few scenes when Kevin has escaped to the treehouse that he has, and he shouts out, I'm going to call the cops, and Marv says, we've got to get him. He's going to call the cops, and, and Harry just goes, from a treehouse? Every time, every time, it just gets me every yeah. single time. Like, they don't grasp it. You can't call somebody from a treehouse, honestly. It always cracks me up from a treehouse. I don't know why it does, but I love it. It's his face. <laughs> it's because he's, 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 he's like, why does he have to explain this? But he has to do it <laughs> continually all the time to Harry, <laughs> to Marv. Oh, God. I, I like Tim Curry when he's he's doing his way to it. No, what, what was he? Head, you know, in the second one, he was. He's a uh, hotel concierge. Hotel concierge. And he's, he does his little glances like he's like <sighs> trying trying to put put a pretext on, but he's in so much pain. <laughs> and he's like, oh, why am I doing this? You know, and, and he, he believes so much in his job. And then when he gets smacked in the face, he's like, do, do bundle up. Oh, it's yeah. awfully cold outside. And he starts crying a little bit. He goes, yeah, his, his bottom lip starts to quiver, doesn't it? He's dying. He's just, he's <laughs> just trying to so, hold back the tears. It's so lifelike, isn't it? Because that's what I'd do if I'm about to cry while I'm holding it in. I'm like... Okay. I think in regards to the second movie, it is Tim Curry that makes it worth a watch. Mm. 
yes, there's a great yeah. cast in there, and there's a you know there's a good storyline that's parable to the first movie. But Tim Curry, the might that he is, is an amazing actor on that screen, and a really funny hotel concierge that's just <laughs> he's just struggling with child again. It's it's like Harry and Marvel over again being bested by a boy. It's ridiculous, but he's a really good character. Well, you know when they always say, "Oh, the second one's not as good because it's not as original." But Tim Curry's character is the original aspect of the film. He, he carries the film forward because he's a different character, and we're seeing it from a different perspective. So it really works well when you see him being chased or being scared away by an inflatable granddad. You know. You know what I love that <laughs> bit when when the the McAllisters get to the hotel in New York to, after they found out where Kevin is and. The concierge, Tim Curry's character, is trying to explain that you know they, they tried to confront Kevin and he ran and stuff. <laughs> and Case, Mrs. McAllister says, "What kind of idiots do you have working here?" And he says, "The finest in New York." <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention that one. That's yeah. great because <laughs> he's, he's he's pre um, he's, he's, you know when you call the call center and they've got a script and they're just yes. reciting the script. That's all yes. he's doing. But in this context, it means nothing. <laughs> Can what? we help you? <laughs> What about you, Frank? Any lines stick out in, in terms of your favorites? Oh, I got a lot, so I'm not going to monopolize this conversation. I'm going to whittle it down here. Okay, so I got one from the first one. Okay, Harry and Mav, right? I love the dynamic between the two of them because Harry thinks that he's intelligent. Mav knows yes. that he's not, and that's what makes it work. <laughs> but when they're outside in Kevin's driveway, or not Kevin's driveway, they're outside in a driveway, and Kevin's looking at them through the window... Harry is telling Mav exactly what they're going to do that night. He says, well, go unload the van, grab a bite to eat, and be back at nine. And this is in broad daylight, normal volume of voice. It's like it didn't even cross their mind. Probably not a good idea to discuss your burglary plan (laughs) in broad daylight. I also love in the first one when Santa Claus is smoking a cigarette. He sees Kevin approaches him. He throws it off. You know, he tosses the cigarette away, pulls his beard up. And I'm like, oh, gosh, (laughs) like that beard must stink, you know? (laughs) <laughs> and then he says oh hang on a second he says i gotta give you a candy cane he says no don't have any he says my elf took the last of the candy canes home to her boyfriend and i'm there like for oh, what <laughs> explain oh, that to a, ch- to a child don't know if i want to know <laughs> ah fresh and old man molly in the church he says to kevin this is the place to be if you feel bad about yourself and kevin says do you feel bad about yourself and molly says no <laughs> Do you know, I it I call me... bullshit. <laughs> I think for me, there's one character that we've we've forgotten about in terms of some of the best lines, and that is Buzz McAllister from the first movie, and he has two great lines. One is that during the first opening scenes when Kevin tries to go into his room, and he simply mm. says, "Don't you know how to knock Flemward?" I don't know what that means. I still don't know what it means, but I love the line. Oh, is that think, not a term in the UK? No, and for years no, I've not even bothered researching it. Actually kind of disgusting. Is it? A wad of phlegm, like when you hock up oh, a loogie. Oh, oh okay. Oh, oh okay. Interesting. Is that an expression over there, hocking up a loogie? Kind of. We have, we have a different expression over here, certainly where I'm from. I'm sure different parts of the UK have different terminology. The other line, of course, again, cracks me up after Kevin asks if, if he can sleep in his room. And and Buck says, <laughs> I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. <laughs> it's, just, it's just brilliant. Well, he hasn't solved the problem still. He's oh. got to sleep in there because he's on his ass. 
In Kevin's reaction, he just sort of jumps and takes a step backwards. <laughs> it's just, it's terrifying. A huge, big, huge, big brother who's kind of dominant in the house and you're only smaller. There's nothing, not much you can do. You, you, even when he entered the room, he was kind of like, oh, oh, Buzz, Buzz. He, he wouldn't even raise his voice because he knew Buzz would shout at him. That's good character <laughs> progression there because in the second one, he pushes him over. He can stand up to him really easily after the experiences of the first. So it's good yes. move forward, forward for the characters. Doesn't yeah. accept his apology for putting the candles by his ears in the concert. Because no, he called no. it, he called him a trout sniffer. You know, yeah. you're not going to believe it, are you? Trout, get out of that one, you little trout sniffer. Love it. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Cheapskate. Oh, no, Frank, Uncle Frank, he's a legend, him. His face. Uncle yeah. Frank is, is amazing. Great lines from him. You know, don't you ruin this holiday for me. Your dad's paying good money for it. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the other one? Oh, when in the first movie, when the McAllisters have taken off and they've, they've come to the realisation that they've left Kevin at home. And of course, Kate's all kind of distraught. You know, she's analysing her life. What kind of terrible mother must she be? And Frank comes in with, if it makes you feel any better, I forgot my reading glasses. Whoa! <laughs> oh, because that's the connotation. Brilliant. He is brilliant. I love Frank. He's amazing. Well, even before oh. they realize they left Kevin behind, he has a great line when the camera's panning over him and his wife and then zooming in on uh, Kate and... Peter. Peter, Peter. The camera's panning past Uncle Frank and his wife and he says, they're eating. And he says, is this real silver? Put him in your purse. <laughs> Put him in your purse. <laughs> and she's still like, Frank, Frank, Frank. <laughs> Stealing on the away. airplane. Come on. <laughs> go, 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 go. Oh, top, top it up, please. Top it. Top it up. <laughs> It's the first thing he asked when he got on the plane. As the, they've not even sat down. There's free drinks, right? Free. Yeah, free. That's all he cares about is being drunk on the plane. And they're all in first class and everyone else is back in steerage. Well, you know, Peter did say, you know, they're having the time of their <laughs> lives. You know, there was there was a brief acknowledgement of, of Peter McAllister's youth when he said that all they did was go across country in the, in the family station wagon. And it kind of put right, me in mind right. of the Griswolds and their huge, uh, great vehicle choices they drove around the country in. Uh, the Griswold family truck, sir. Ah, it's just amazing. <laughs> Every family should have one. Yes, yes, I, I totally agree. I don't have so, one. Well, it's one day. One day. One day. <laughs> one day. <laughs> Make that today. Possible today. You win. So, Dave, I have a question for you. Yes. You pointed out the line that Buzz has where he says to Kevin, I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. Would yes. you rather be told that? Or would you rather be told, I'll snap off your cojones and boil them in motor oil? Oh, that's a good line as well, actually. Um, I think I'd rather the option of not sleeping in someone's room than having my cojones boiled in motor oil. It's far too grotesque <laughs> for me. That's probably for the Home Alone R-rated version, you know, when there's actual torture, you know? <laughs> well speaking of actual torture when at the end when kevin's running through the neighbor's house and they hang him up on the hook of the kitchen door and he's threatening to bite off his fingers one by one yeah. during a rehearsal joe pesci actually bit nine-year-old macaulay culkin's finger and ripped skin off and to this oh. day macaulay culkin still has the scar and he says oh that he was really God. angry about it. He said, I don't care how many Oscars you have. I don't care how good of a method actor you are. You don't go biting nine-year-olds. Jeez. So if you can imagine how that would go over today, it probably would go viral. Yeah. So, yeah, but you don't see it on film because it was during the rehearsal. Yeah, okay. Well, that's good. I mean, it makes the scene a bit kind of queasy, I guess, if you if you know that he actually bit him. But I suppose it was in rehearsals. You, you can put it to one side. Maybe he just had trouble getting out of character from Goodfellas. I don't know. How am I funny? How am I funny? How? 
<laughs> okay, 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 okay. I know I can't do a Joe Pesci impression. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I don't think anyone can. He's quite unique, isn't he? He is. Yeah, I don't think Joe person. Pesci could do a Joe Pesci impression. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one question about the end of Home Alone that has been bugging me since I was a kid. Okay. Okay. So Kevin runs across the street. Well, Kevin calls 911. He lowers his voice and he says, hello, my house is being robbed. My name is Murphy. Hangs up the phone. Murphy is his neighbor, who is away on vacation. He runs into the Murphy's house, and that's where he's hung up in the kitchen door, and the basement's all flooded because they're the wet bandits. Okay, old man Molly comes in, conks them both off the head with a shovel, saves Kevin. My question is this. It's actually a two-pack question. Number one, why did the cops, when they came and arrested Harry and Mav, why were they not questioning each other, where the hell is Murphy? (laughs) He placed a call. I thought he was here. Where, where, Where is Murphy? They didn't ask each other. They didn't ask Harry and Mav. The second question I have, old man Molly is the hero, right? He comes swooping in. He's wearing the cape. He saves the day, right? He did not report to the authorities that his little kid neighbor is home alone when the cops were there. Molly, get your head out of your ass. (laughs) Perhaps all those rumors that Buzz was telling them about were true. You know, the South Bend shovel slinger, you know, back in 58, he murdered his entire family. Maybe this family that moved in. Isn't his real family? <gasps> Could be. Ooh, Could be. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it never entered my mind about where the hell Murphy was and why Marley was not kind of more let's look after you kind of thing. I am. Um, yeah. yeah. He says, I, come on, let's get you home. Brings him home, but to an empty house. Like, wouldn't you have thought that he would have gone into the house with Kevin? Make sure he's okay. And then he would have said, oh, you know, where's your mom? Where's your dad? And then he would have known yeah. he went there and, and so on and then, so on. Fold, yeah. It would then make, I suppose, the, the general plot of the movie a bit too intense, I guess. Too much backstory to fill in too many plot holes. It was more about the comedy and the resolution at the end, the, the happy ending to the pieces that were. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely some major plot issues there. Hmm. So I got some fun facts here for both Home Alone films, but I didn't know if you had any, and if so, I really would like for you to go first. Well, I only have one, really, and that in regards to Harry. I read that originally the role was offered to Robert De Niro, really? which, if that's true, yeah. it would have been a completely different movie. Yeah. Granted, uh, you know, another mafia actor like Joe Pesci, but um, I couldn't imagine Robert De Niro playing Harry. I could be wrong. I mean, he's done many comedic roles in his career, but I don't think the role of Harry would have been as good if it, if it was someone other than Joe Pesci. Yeah. I don't know. His yeah. his style, his acting, his stature, the fact that he's shorter than Marv and it's it's comedic in that way. I just I just didn't see it working myself with a different actor. But hey, who knows? Alternative universes, blah, blah, blah. It could already exist. Yes. I think the physical contrast between the two is what makes it work. Yes. Joe Pesci is short, Joe Pesci is pudgy, and Daniel Stern is long and tall and lanky. Mm. You know, it's like Laurel and Hattie or Jackie Gleason and Aunt Connie. Although yeah. I can tell you that if Kevin were to say, you guys give up, oh, you're thirsty for more. I can picture De Niro saying, you talking to me? You talking to me? <laughs> I don't see anybody else here. You talking to me? Totally. It, yeah, maybe maybe they can just redo it. Like, say, director's cut, maybe. Show some deleted scenes or something. It could happen.
So I got some fun facts about both films, but I'll be selective here. So again, that I'm not taking over. But for the first film, studio expectations for the film were very low. 20th Century Fox. When the film opened on November 16, 1990, it only opened in 1,200 theaters, which is not a lot. But it grabbed the number one spot. It pulled in 17 million on its opening weekend, and it beat out Rocky Five. Wow. And so they added more theaters every weekend. And then right before Christmas that year, it was now at 2,100. And it was the number one movie every weekend in North America until the first weekend of February. At that point, it had running in theaters for 12 weeks. It didn't leave theaters until the end of June. That's a hell of a run there. That's incredible. Just people can get enough of it, could they? Yeah, it's it's one of those films. You you, you all must see it. It's the comedy of the year. So you all want to oh. go and see it in the best way possible. And that is in the cinema. Yeah, agreed. I never saw it, unfortunately. Who knows? Maybe they'll do a re-release one day and you can go and I see it. I hope so. There. I'll definitely go and see it. Something else I have here. The director of the film, Chris Columbus, say it with me. Kevin takes a look at the framed photo of Buzz's girlfriend, and he says, Buzz, your girlfriend. Your girlfriend. Woof. Woof. <laughs> it was Buzz in drag, isn't it? Yes, it was. Well, Chris Columbus didn't want to make fun of a girl's appearance, so that is actually a picture of the son of the film's art director wearing a blonde wig. <laughs> wow. Wow. Buzz has got some taste, hasn't he? <laughs> uh, I don't know. She looks pretty hot. <laughs> did you think buzz was a bit of a of a bit of a sleazy guy when he was asking about the fact that um they have like nudist beaches in france and stuff we've all said it haven't we because he said isn't isn't it true that fr- french babes don't shape their pits but they got new beaches like that that's all he's going on holiday for to look at naked women in france you know <laughs> in winter in winter <laughs> <laughs> Got a girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And a tarantula. And a tarantula, Mm. which, by the way, did not have its stinger removed before they filmed that scene. And it was a poisonous tarantula. So had it bitten Daniel Stern, that could have been fatal. (laughs) And he was also wearing fake rubber feet when he's stepping on all those ornaments when he comes through the Uh, window. And those ornaments, by the way, they were made out of candy. I was thinking that it looked like um, you know, sugar sugar work of some sort. Still would hurt though, wouldn't he? Yeah, it, it would hurt. You know, shards of sugar, you know, they you know, you bite into a piece of sharp sweet and it can hurt your gums and stuff. So yeah, it, it would it would hurt if you stood on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we need to mention the uh, the the extensive level of detail that Kevin went to with all these traps. The foresight of knowing which way he was going to direct the criminals to the next trap in the room. As an eight-year-old kid, having that mindset, it, it it's quite clever. The intelligence levels must be really high in Kevin. Because I, I couldn't it. think of that. Yeah, plan it for a long time for his family, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm going to well, get set them all up in less than an hour. Yeah, I know. Then he because the clock was record. chiming as he was running out of the church. He gets home. He doesn't even have a chance to enjoy that mac and cheese oh, from the people who sold it on sale. Years, years later, just a few years ago, actually, there was a, a commercial for, I think it may have been for Google, possibly. And Macaulay Culkin reprises all as Kevin in the house, and he's using Google devices to like search the internet and turn ovens on and so on. And he actually does get to eat the mac and cheese. So he has like the... 
like, hey, Google, turn the microwave on, microwave does the mac and cheese, and you see him sit at the table, and he actually gets to eat some of the mac and cheese, and we're like, finally! like He finally gets a forkful. Yes, that really, really grated on me because that whole scene before the, the clock starts to chime, you can see that the mac and cheese has been cooked. You can see the steam coming off it. And he goes to put his fork in and he has to put it down. And I'm like, no, eat the food. You're going to need the energy. Oh. And then it probably has glue and feathers all over it at the end. Yeah. Why the hell you Which like leads to another one of my favorite lines. Why the hell are you dress like a chicken? Like a chicken. <laughs> 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 Well, Macaulay oh, Culkin, God. for the original, made $100,000. He was wow. only known as the kid from Uncle Buck at that point. Yeah. So once Home yeah. Alone became huge, of course, the studio wanted a sequel. His management got him $4.5 to do Home Alone 2. Wow. Amazing. Wow. And that set a record for a child performer. Tell you one thing I do love about the second movie is the, is the merchandising. Because that talk boy that Kevin uses was made just for the movie. And then because of the popularity of the film they made it as an actual product yeah I, and i love that scene kevin have you have you packed your suitcase yes <laughs> yes what, including, <laughs> including such and such yes <laughs> yes and everybody wants us to do it yeah. we all want yeah. we all wanted that moment where we slow our voice down and sound like peter McAllister, the father we all wanted <laughs> to do it yeah it was brilliant how do you <laughs> We all want to ring up that hotel and ask for a, a, t- a TV and an extra large bedroom. One of those little refrigerators you have to open have with a key. key. <laughs> 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 it's just too good. It's too good. Oh, my God. I love that. I mean, again, well, the, the second movie for me is all about Tim Curry. But mm. it, the, the supporting cast, you know, like um, Rob Schneider, for example, is um, a Cedric. He's just hilarious. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's just brilliant. I love as well, again, the fact that they can't use swearing and there's that scene when Kevin runs in the hotel and Tim Curry's concierge is chasing after him. He goes into the elevator and as the door's closing, get back here, you little sh... And the door shut. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what he was trying to say there. Sorry about that. You just knew there was going to be a swear word. <laughs> no, 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 no. I always thought he was just going to say, get back here, you little sugar plum. Oh, of course, festive. Of course, it is. It was a Christmas movie. Of course, it was sugar. No, no, you're right. You're right. I, I deeply apologize. <laughs> well, I have one more here. In Home Alone Two, he stays at the Plaza Hotel in Manhattan. Yes. Now, at the time, 1992, it was more than a thousand a night. Oh. Add to that all the room service that he ordered, the car ride from the airport to the hotel, renting a movie on pay per view. The grand total would have been probably about $2,200. $2,200. That's according to Cinema Blend. Oh my God. I wouldn't. I would just not sell be Mr. Happy. Duncan's toys. Just sell all the toys. He just got off Mr. Duncan. <laughs> yeah. But then how much does the merchandise that Duncan donated to Kevin? I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't Santa that gave all the presents. So how much does all that cost? Ooh. Ah, that's a good question. That's a hell of a lot of toys. That's like the climax of the second move. They all. You know, Kevin's been found, and all the families in the uh, in the penthouse suite that's been given to them to stay, and they all wake up. All these presents around that been donated by Mister Duncan, and there's a lot of commotion. So what does Buzz do? He's trying to get everyone's attention. Hey, hey, hey! Because he can't whistle. <laughs> I just, can't blows a, like just blows a raspberry because <laughs> he can't whistle. And I've always tried to recreate it. <laughs> I can't whistle either, but I love that again. Just a, a little quick, quick bit of comedy, and it just makes me laugh every time. He didn't open a present either, Kevin. 
He didn't know from one present. No. Well, he went to, but he went to do it the nice way. He, he took like the first corner and intends on opening it, but then he realised he has to go and see the filthy pigeon woman by the lake to give her her little keepsake, her little porcelain, china, whatever it's made out of, turtle dove keepsake, so that Kevin can remember her and vice versa. Spending a good Christmassy message throughout the whole movie. You can make friends from strangers, apparently. Yeah, never talk to strangers apart from the one with birds. Well, yeah, they're, they're obviously safe, aren't they? You know? Or the birds? Earth. No, the, the the woman with the birds all around her. Oh, I thought you meant the birds too. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say, have you ever seen Hitchcock? Get the hell away from us. Oh, no, don't, don't. <laughs> Can't deal with that. No, no, sorry. No, birds want to kill people. No, thanks. He was okay, you know, she she was harmless enough, even though she was covered in bed poop. She's fine. You ready for some trivia? Yes, always yes. time for some trivia, yes, please. Okay, now you do realize, the two of you, that you're pitted against each other. Okay, okay. So this is not a collaborative team effort. This is Dave versus Steven. <laughs> Dave, oh. you're going down. Downtown. You, you little That's sugar plum. Oh, see, it is sugar plum. You're right, it is. <laughs> you get your tip. Actually, that doesn't sound right, does it? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. Okay. So I have two questions for each of you. Okay. I'll alternate. One point for each correct answer. First one is for you, Stephen. Oh, dear. Actor Bill Irwin plays the elderly husband of the woman that Kevin's mom gives money and her earrings to in exchange for the plane ticket. What yeah. other John Hughes film does he appear in? It's a comedy. Yeah, I can see it in my head. I'll give you a hint. It too has to do with plane tickets. Oh, I don't know. Um, trains, planes, and automobiles. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Oh, I love that movie. Easy. So I can just picture his head in it. Head. I can just picture his character <laughs> in it. Even though it's been ages since I've seen the film, I've got to watch it. Now, I remember you mentioning on Instagram recently that it was your favorite or one of your favorites. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time. I've been meaning to sit down and watch it. Now so, the bar's set, Davey. Do okay, your work. Okay. Uh, you're ready. Dave, yes. in the Home Alone 2 montage where Kevin is taking in the Manhattan scenery, yes. he visits three of the following locations, which is the one that he does not visit. <gasps> so I'm going to list off here four locations in Manhattan. Three of them he visits, one of them he does not. Which one does he not? A, the Fulton Fish Market. B, the observation deck of the World Trade Center. C, Times Square. Or D, battery pack to see the Statue of Liberty. I know. I want to say it's Battery Park. See the Statue of Liberty. I don't know why I think Ooh. that though. There's no scene where he's on the statue. No, he's not like, on the statue. He's looking over at the Statue of Liberty with the binoculars. Oh, of course. Oh, Battery Park. Oh, yeah, Battery Park is across the water from the statue. Yeah. Oh, rookie mistake there. Oh, oh. I, I, I've been there. It's a lovely park. That's one zero. No, no. <laughs> but there's still a chance to redeem yourself. Okay. Yes. Some, pe okay. some people are winners. Some people are losers, Davey. <laughs> Steven, number two. Oh, God. Name Gus's polka band. 
Um, hang on. The polk, uh, the polka dodgers or something. That that's all I can think of. The polka dodgers or something. Dave, you have a chance to steal. I will happily steer by saying it's Gus Belinsky and the Kenosha Kickers. Oh, God. God, I remember. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Damn it. I wish I hadn't jinxed it now. (laughs) I'm back. I'm back in the game. So now we're at 1-1. Dave, here's your second question. Okay, okay. When Rob Schneider escorts Kevin to his room at the Plaza Hotel, how does Kevin tip him? Oh no, with some chewing gum. It may have even been Wrigley's chewing gum. It was a stick of Wrigley's chewing gum. Yes. Yes, he does. Nice tip. Great family. Yeah. What what color is the chewing gum? Usually sticks of gum are kind of like a gray color, but I believe it was in a green wrapper. Possibly lime green in color. It may have been spearmint flavor. I mean, I don't know how analytical you want me to be about this piece of gum, but. It was definitely gum. What does the color of the gum represent on a deeper level, on the existential level of Kevin McAllister's experiences? Don't worry, that's not the tiebreaker. Okay. <laughs> I can't answer that one. What? I thought I was in like, some psychology lesson there. I was like, ooh. <laughs> we're going well, deep. So where are we now? 2 1? 2 yes. 1, Dave? Come on, Steven. This time's at your life here. Isn't it a free one? Because he got my steel, didn't he? True. Does it count to get a point for that? Okay, 3 1 then. So here's one for you, Stephen. According to Rob Schneider, what US president once stayed on the same floor as Kevin in the Plaza Hotel? Uh, so I'm just going to try and work with the line. Hang on. Um, is it uh, Ford? Mm, not Ford. Who was it? Not Nixon. Nope. Who is it? Someone like that, isn't it? Oh, go on. Herbert Hoover. Oh, and it was some sort of obscure one. Yeah, because he says, the vacuum guy? The no, vacuum no. guy. I was trying to work the line in my head, and I just couldn't get to the, the line quick enough, so there you go. Looks like you came out on top, Dave. Yes! I still have a couple of spare questions that were going to be tiebreakers. You want me to ask them anyway? Yeah. Either either, either one of you can answer them. It won't be directed at either one of you. Do you have the time? In the original, how much did the Little Nero pizza order cost the night before they left for Paris at the very beginning of the film? The pizza boy says, you owe me. uh, 22.50 something. What was it now? 200. Oh, God, it was something like. I can't remember. I know it's along those lines, isn't it? Along those lines, yeah. Is it? Is it one hundred and twenty-two fifty? One hundred and twenty-two fifty. That's it. One hundred and twenty-two fifty. Because Frank did say um, it's my brother's house. He'll take care of it. Ten pizzas times twelve bucks plus tip. Yeah, I remember that. I think one of the one of the kind of endearing gags in the first movie is that every vehicle hits that statue outside the house. Even mm, the guy's taking yeah. them to the airport hits the statue. It's like it has to be done. You must hit the statue. <laughs> yeah. I think they broke it in the first, in the second one because he doesn't have to stand on it and when it flings off. Yeah. Wasn't it beheaded or am I totally making that up? Uh, possibly. 
I might be making that up. I'm not sure. That that was in um, with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he kicked a burning head through a window. Do you remember that? The Christmas movie, Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way. Yes. Great movie. And I have one last question. Speaking of the pizza and knocking over the statue. Okay, here I am telling you this, I know, but this is just the way the question is worded. In Europe, there is a U.S.-based pizza franchise that currently operates in Turkey, where it has almost 100 locations. And in Spain, it has eight locations. And by the end of this year, by the end of 2022, they're aiming to have 10 more in Spain. Now, this pizza brand also plans to enter the United Kingdom and Portugal later this year. Home Alone parodies it by naming its fictional pizza joint Little Nero's. Name its real-life counterpart. Papa John? Big Nero's? I don't know either. I've never heard of anything like that. Oh my god, I think you've actually beaten me. I've I've no idea. Little Nero's. Think of Nero. Where's he from? Concede defeat? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Please, enlighten me. Enlighten us. Little Caesars. Oh, Little Caesars. Oh. So you haven't heard? According to the research that I was doing, it's not in the UK yet. No, never. But we're, we're almost in December, so I don't know if maybe there might have been coming soon banners. Not to my knowledge, but I'm going to be looking out for it a hundred percent. It's burning yeah. me subconscious. I have to now. I'll be seeking them out. <laughs> it's very, very salty. Ooh. Which, depending on personal taste, may be a good thing or a bad thing. A good thing. I love a salty pizza, and that's not taken as a metaphor or a euphemism. It's just, I like a salty pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I like a stuffed crust. Read into that what you will. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, as we begin to wrap things up, I just want to make sure that you both have the chance to plug your own shows, your own projects. So, Stephen, let's start with you. Oh, thank you. Well, losers first. I don't have to plug anything really because I'm I'm just a freelance do what I want to do sort of thing. I do do a lot of uh, reactions with Dave as well, but I'm I'm also just uh, out doing interviews and stuff on my YouTube channel. So I should plug that, shouldn't I? My name is Stephen J Holleran, and I do stuff on my YouTube channel called Stephen J Holleran. So Google it. <laughs> and there you have it. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> that was just impeccable. No, it's what I do. It's what I do. I'm, I'm very, very knowledgeable with all my answers as well. Dave, how about you? Well, my name's Davey A. I am the host of a podcast called I Get That 10 Minutes. I'm also a co-host on the up-and-coming, still great and amazing podcast, Movies Across the Pods, with my good buddy Frank here, your very own Frank, has joined forces with me to do an amazing podcast where we chat films that one of us hasn't seen before. Both podcasts are available wherever you can listen to them, Spotify and others. But yeah, for myself, I give that 10 minutes a nerdy chat about movie, sci-fi, collectibles, pop culture and more. Yeah, you can find me on most of the socials. I give that 10 minutes. Seek me out and you shall hear lots of fun things. Both great stuff. The YouTube channel, Stephen, that you have and Dave, I give that 10 minutes. Quality. That's how we connected. So. It is. And let's not take the shine away from our joint venture. I know this is all about silver screeners, but please listen to our collective efforts. It's well worth it. Definitely. Movies across the pot. I don't believe I know that one. I think you do, Mr. Actor. <laughs> I think you know full well what we're talking about. <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> P O D. 
yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Shameless plug and all, but we are part of a, a couple of different projects, so why not mention them? Yeah, there you go. This is like a, you, this is like the union of two uh, mega cities, or like a crossover of Marvel and all sorts, all getting together on the global stage, isn't it? Me, Frank, Dave, together. Like I said, global domination after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to thank you both again for coming on, for making the time. I know that with the five-hour time difference, it's it's almost 10 o'clock p.m. where you are. So That's not too again. bad, is it? Yeah, it's good. Anytime. It's always good to come back and be a guest for a change. So, yeah. Yeah. Same I'll man. be back it's anytime. And thank you for joining us, everybody. I feel like I've just stolen the show from Frank. But, yeah, thanks for joining us. <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully speak to you soon. Yes. And thank you, Frank, for inviting me on. And thank you, Davey, for tolerating me again. <laughs> hey come back on anytime yes thanks very much thank you that was my conversation with Stephen and Dave both from across the Atlantic I want to thank them both again and with that it is time to announce the results of this week's online poll so the poll question for this episode number 73 was if you were a kid Kevin's age would you rather be by yourself and run into Old Man Molly from the original, or the Pigeon Lady from the sequel. On the Silver Screener's Facebook group, 22% of the votes went to the Miracle Worker and her pigeons, with the remaining votes favoring Molly. And Jean Marie offered this comment, Kevin needed Molly more than the Pigeon Lady. He would protect me. On Twitter, 25% of the votes went to the Pigeon Lady, and 75 to Molly. And over on Instagram, McEwen Life went for Molly, saying, Tough decision, but the scene where he reunites with his family still makes me tear up. So taken all together, Old Man Molly shovels the pathway to victory while the Pigeon Lady is left in Central Park with her feathered friends. As always, thanks to everyone who voted. And keep your eyes open on my socials for the next poll. Just check out the Silver Screeners group on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at filmbuff1974, as well as Instagram at frankmendoza1974. Or you can simply email silverscreenerspod at gmail.com. And now it is time to head on over to the trivia segment. In each episode, there is a different trivia question that is directly, and sometimes indirectly, related to the movies we're talking about or the people in them. You're all invited to take a crack at it at any time. I do want to say that I like to err on the side of caution, so I do not announce both first and last names in case that would make anyone uncomfortable, so I only announce first name and last initial. But, if you tell me otherwise when you send in your answer, full names it is, you'll get your shout-out, as well as a movie-related meme sent you away with a personalized greeting. And do not worry about timing, either. It does not matter what episode you're listening to, episode 1, episode 70, however far back, however recent, Answer any trivia question from any episode at any time, and you will get your meme and your shout-out. And if you're a creator, if you write music, if you design websites, if you're a podcaster, a writer, a YouTuber, independent business owner, anything at all, I'm always happy to give your stuff a shout-out. No strings attached. Because, as I say each time, people help people, and that's all there is to it. So last time, we schlepped our way through the gaudy decade of the 1980s with a look at 1983's The Best Christmas Pageant Ever and 1988's A Very Brady Christmas, two TV movie schlockfests with enough sugar and saccharin to sweeten your Christmas coffee for a lifetime. And the question was, 
Jonathan Taylor Thomas of the Tim Allen sitcom Home Improvement had an early role in the short-lived series The Bradys in 1990. He was the voice of young Simba in 1994's The Lion King, named the distinguished actor who provides the voice of Simba's father, Mufasa. And the answer is James Earl Jones. A movie-themed meme with a personalized greeting goes out to the following in no particular order. Tammany P., a member of the Silver Screeners Facebook page, welcome back to the Trivia Circle. Great to hear from you. We also have Ed Iyer, who's in the Silver Screeners Facebook group and actually has come to a number of my live talks. Happy holidays to you and yours, Taminia and Ed. Kim M., my sister, and a loyal viewer of both of last episode's featured movies, the Brady Bunch and Best Christmas Pageant Ever from back in the day. I still recall our first viewing of A Very Brady Christmas that cold December night in 1988. Seven C's from the No One 15 Allcast, a great guy and a great podcaster. We've both guested on each other's shows, and he'll be back very shortly for a conversation about another Christmas movie that I daren't reveal yet. Once again, I have the pleasure to call out Liz M., my sister-in-law, who, as I always say, kicks ass eight ways from Sunday. I also have the privilege of calling out regular movie trivia champ, trusted listener, fellow podcaster, and friend, DJ Nick from the Gold Standard Oscars podcast. Check out his and his co-hosts, Rachel and Zan's latest episode on 1992's Unforgiven, just released a few days ago as of this recording. And my buddy Chris from the podcast, The Movie Psycho. His latest episode is on the new movie, Violent Night. Give his show a go. And Mary C., who is racking up these movie trivia victories like Meryl Streep racks up Oscar nominations. Great hearing from you, Mary, as always. Thanks to all of you. Keep your eyes open for those memes, and to anyone else listening... No time like the present. Join the trivia. It's fun, easy, and does not cost you a cent. And you can begin with this episode's question. Macaulay Culkin, as a child actor, certainly made a name for himself as the star of a couple of Christmas-themed classics in the early 90s. Hot off his Home Alone success, he also featured in a recorded New York City stage production of what globally famous holiday-themed ballet that features dance numbers like Arabian and Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. Send in your answers, and as always, if you have any follow-up questions or any comments on anything from today's episode or any episode that you've listened to, hit me up on my socials. Once again, that's FilmBuff1974 on Twitter, the film group Silver Screen is on Facebook, Frank Mendoza1974 on Instagram, or you can email silverscreenerspod at gmail.com. And that brings episode 73 to a festive finish. Thank you to everyone who is listening, has ever listened, or who will in the future be listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Please don't hesitate to give Silver Screeners a rating on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch you next time. My name is Frank, wishing you good health, good weather, and good movies. And until next time, keep on screening. And I leave you now with the soothing sounds of Kevin McAllister cutting a rug on the New York City stage in that Christmas-themed ballet and having a marvelous time of it until his mother Kate notices him from the audience. (laughs) 